Specialty Story, session number 33. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're here to help you make an informed decision when it comes to choosing your specialty. A lot of medical students go through the process, end up at the time where they have to submit their rank list, and they have no clue what they want to do. It's a lot of stress, unneeded stress. So here at this podcast, I talk to the specialists that you can't get a hold of so you can understand what is out there for you. This podcast, this episode specifically, is a great one where I talk to my first pediatric specialist. I talk to Dr. Lauren Strauss, who's been in academic pediatric neurology for three years, specializing in headache. Now, she actually is also the residency program director at Wake Forest for pediatric neurology. So she's got a ton of great insight into the world of pediatric neurology and specifically headache medicine. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And I ask Dr. Strauss where her initial desires came about for following and practicing pediatric neurology and specifically headache medicine. I've had a very interesting route. Um, I actually started in engineering, and I did a major at UPenn in uh, bioengineering. I always knew I liked science and math, and uh, my grandfather was an engineer. I didn't have any doctors in my family, so I decided to do engineering, and I thought bioengineering would offer me a big variety, and I loved my classes in bioengineering, but what I found that I loved the most is when we got to do um, projects that brought us over to the hospital and allowed us to interact with clinicians. So when I decided to do my senior engineering project, I had actually ended up in a neurology lab, and uh, we did research related to vertigo, and um, it was just a very, very amazing opportunity. And um, I don't think I realized at that time that I wanted to do neurology, but I knew that I liked other things outside of engineering. Um, and so I graduated in engineering, and I decided to take a year off. And um, looking into medicine as an option, I happened to work at a pediatric practice where um, it was my pediatrician that I grew up going to. And so they're very nice to let me work there for a summer, and that turned into a whole year. And, um, um, and I realized that I wanted to go to medical school to be a pediatrician. So it wasn't until um, I actually did a rotating month where it was a pediatric subspecialty month, but we could rotate through a lot of different specialties, and neurology happened to be one of them. And I just found myself looking things up and um, just really fascinated, but it, wasn't, it still didn't hit me at that point after spending a few days in clinic with someone that that was going to be what I was going to go into. And uh, when I had to pick a full month in a specialty, and I knew I wanted to do ped, so you know, options were like pediatric endocrine, pediatric pulmonology. Well, some of the ones that I had signed up for actually were filled. And they called and told me the only one left was pediatric neurology. And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I guess I'll do that. And um, my reputation ended up being um, at Mamani's ho- Hospital in Brooklyn. And I worked with um, uh, a well-known neurologist uh, who was one of the first describers of MELOS disorder. 
And so it was just a, it was kind of a, the perfect opportunity mixed with meeting the right people at the right time. And uh, I just, in that month, I decided I was going to do the ambitious route of applying to pediatric neurology, which is a hard decision to do because nowadays a lot of the programs are combined, what we would call categorical. So you um, do your pediatrics and your neuro in the same location. Um, and when I was going through it, there were still some where you could train at two separate places. So it was a very difficult process when it comes to applying. And when I talked to my medical school, which was NICOM, um, New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, they had never had anyone else go through their medical school who had done pediatric neurology. So <laughs> it was very challenging, um, and I kind of decided to take the plunge and very happy that I did so. And where I ended up doing my training was pediatrics in Long Island at a larger children's hospital, Long Island Jewish, which is now, um, it was Schneider's, and now it's Alexander Cohen's Children's Medical Center. Um, and, and then I did my, um, my child neural training at Boston Children's in, in Boston. And uh, so I thought that, okay, I've already picked a specialty because I thought pediatric neurology seemed very specialized. Um, but when I found out arriving into neurology, adult or pediatrics, um, pediatric neurology, that a lot of people will pick an interest within neurology and, and in academics, if you want to stay in academics, a lot of people will go on and subspecialize with the fellowship. And so I originally thought epilepsy because that is mostly what we will see in pediatric neurology. I would say the majority of our practice in peds neuro is developmental delay, epilepsy, and headache. And since I had an engineering background, it, I thought that it would be the best for me to go into engineering. I'm sorry, to go into uh, um, epilepsy uh, because of all the reading of EEGs relies on physics. And, um, you know, I, I discovered about myself that I really love the patient interaction. And I love taking a history from a patient and kind of solving the puzzle. But I didn't love as much reading an EEG and sitting by myself, um, you know, uh, <laughs> looking at EEG squiggles um, and then <laughs> reporting things and spending time doing that. So I, I thought it was really fascinating, but I couldn't see myself doing that for long periods of time. So, you know, headache didn't, a lot of people uh, don't know that you can subspecialize in headache. Headache is a new emerging specialty. It was actually uh, uh, featured recently by the AN, um, and uh, we are a UCNS fellowship. And so uh, a lot of people who go into that field are adult headache specialists because that's been the, pa the paved route. It's much easier from the adult side. But uh, I said, you know, bulk of what I already do is headache. And I noticed that I love this patient interaction and a lot of headache patients, um, you know, if you're talking peds, they can be as young as age two, but majority of them are in the preteen or teenager years. And I really love the challenge of, of, of trying to convince a patient to give me that history. Um, and I love the overlap with some of the social dynamics and, and healthy living and, and trying to coach them back towards a better life. And I also like that a lot of headache patients tend to get better if you have the right tools in place. And, um, and that's very satisfying. So when I looked into it, I definitely looked at a lot of places um, and kind of explore, should I do headache? Are there other avenues? I looked into doing a pediatric pain fellowship. I looked into doing an adult pain fellowship, like an interventional pain fellowship. Um, and I like procedures, but I realized I didn't like it to the extent that majority of my practice was going to be procedures. 
So that's where I settled in doing a headache fellowship, and I ended up doing a adult headache fellowship at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is the well-known Graham Headache Center, one of the first headache centers established in the country. And they had classically had adult headache fellows, um, but they were very interested that I was doing my child neurology training locally and interested in collaborating and, and, and training a future pediatric headache specialist. And so I, I love the field I'm in um, because, uh, you know, I'm, I feel that I'm somewhat of a pioneer. I knew that when I graduated fellowship, I wanted to have all the necessary tools because likely if I left Boston Children's or left the Boston programs, that I would be at a center where there probably is no other pediatric headache specialist. And um, right now I'm at Wake Forest and, you know, I'm one of the few fellowship trained pediatric headache specialists in a several state region. So, you know, I, I love that the knowledge that I have, I can use towards helping patients, but also I'm very involved in education um, and involved in community efforts and, and streamlining protocols for the emergency room and, um, and educational materials for patients. So it's a lot of need in headache because yeah. it's very common, but also a lot of need in the fact that not everyone has gone on to this subspecialty level. That's great. What traits do you think make a good pediatric headache specialist? Yeah. So I guess um, if you want to take a step back, anyone who goes into pediatrics has to be, um, I think, at baseline a little bit more patient because, um, and you have to be creative. Not creative to the point that I'm not at home, you know, drawing artwork and, and writing novels and creative on that side. But I think that you have to be able to adapt to new situations because when you're examining children or you're taking a history from a child or family, you have to be able to change your practice or willing to go out of order. Um, because child might not let you examine them at the beginning of the visit, but they may at the end of the visit. And you have to uh, charm people and be able to use your communication skills to warm up um, the child or the parents to what you're trying to ask, but also what the plan is going to be. And you have to be a little bit of a salesman at times. Um, and in headache, I think that takes those skills and, and, and basically brings it to the extreme um, because you imagine the patients and their families are dealing with a situation where their child is very much in pain um, and they don't necessarily know other families that are dealing with the same condition. And it can be very isolating and uh, very anxiety-producing, and um, and it can be a huge struggle. Um, and a lot of these patients, although they may not be on official disability, they can be very disabled by their condition and uh, can look like other children, but they're dealing with special issues. Um, so uh, they often deal with a lot of missed school and a lot of other um, challenges, and we have to really coach them and be firm at times on having them get back. So, you know, I think that communication is very helpful, but being patient, and and I would also add in um, being a neurologist or a headache specialist, I do think you um, want to be a little bit of a problem solver. You kind of like saying, you know, you told me this history, but I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be settled. I, I want to ask a few more questions to make sure that I'm definitely sure that this is this is migraine and not something else. So, and, um, and understanding your exam and how that fits into the history. What sort of patients are you treating? Um, so in general neurology, we, um, see all, uh, ages up to 18, um, in pediatric neurology and in the outpatient setting, uh, a lot of times we will do evaluations for young children who are delayed in walking or talking, trying to understand, is this something that they're going to catch up on? Is this something related to a genetic condition? Is this something that is related to a metabolic condition? Do we need to do any other workup? 
and how do we help them get the right services they need so that they can catch up on their milestones? That's a big bulk of what we do. Then we also see first-time seizure patients or refractory seizure patients. How do we help um, diagnose the right epilepsy condition? And what is really neat about PEDS is that we have a lot of patients that get better. And you can make a diagnosis of a seizure disorder that we know by the time they're a teenager may go away. Um, or go away in a few years. So it's very helpful to make not only the diagnosis of is this seizure or not seizure, but to fit it into an epilepsy syndrome so that you can help a family understand what the true prognosis is. So epilepsy is a big bulk. And like I said, um, headache. And, and headache obviously is where my passion is. And so most of my outpatient practice over time because of my subspecialty interest has become headache. And the headache patients, you can see all comers. You can see someone with their first headache that maybe had some interesting features to it. Um, maybe they had a visual aura. And, and children, just like adults, can have very interesting aura symptoms with their migraines where they can see like cracked glass, speckled colors, sparkles, um, shooting stars. I mean, you can see the whole gamut of all different things that someone can see in their, in their vision. And, and it can be very scary if it's the first time it happened. And so part of my expertise is sorting out, is this consistent with what we would think is a migraine or is any other workup needed? Um, and then, um, then I'll also see patients that have repeated headaches and um, sometimes uh, they have headaches that are every day or never go away, they're continuous. And they're there when you first wake up in the morning and they're there when you go to bed at night. Um, and, and, and some of the typical meds you would use over the counter, Tylenol, Motrin, they don't seem to stop it. And so part of my practice is sorting out which medicines we can use to help you. Are there certain things in your lifestyle, like overuse of caffeine? Um, here in the South, we have a lot of people who drink cheer wine, which is a local soda that's heavy in caffeine. It's kind of like a cherry Coca-Cola. Um, and then we also have a lot of sweet tea. And so people don't even realize that they have a young child who's exposed to a lot of caffeine. So we kind of focus on that focus on avoiding skip meals, hydration, exercise, and addressing any mood concerns or bullying or other things that may be going on at the school setting. Um, and so lifestyle things. And then what's interesting being a headache subspecialist is that I'm also trained in procedures. So we do do some interesting procedures to help manage pain where we can do something called a nerve block where we take numbing medicine, kind of like what you do at the dental office, and you can inject on the scalp and numb down the scalp to give them pain relief that can be either temporary or when the nerves wake back up again, it could be long-lasting because they kind of reset what's going on. We also um, we do um, Botox, which is a muscle paralyzer, but you can actually use it in the management of chronic migraine where you inject in 31 places um, on the scalp and the neck. Um, and the thought is it doesn't just paralyze the muscles, but it is also affecting locally the nerves to prevent them from spreading neuropeptides and inflammatory markers to perpetuate pain. So we have a lot of interesting ways to treat headache and in some of its medicine, a lot of its medicine, some of its coaching, and then also procedures. So keeps my practice very interesting. You're in an academic setting. How does that change what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis versus somebody in the community? Yeah. Um, I thought really long and hard about what I wanted um, my career to look like. And there was a time where I was thinking that um, private practice it was very attractive because um, you might have more control over what your schedule is. You might see a consistent type of patient population, um, might have more consistent hours. And the reason I ultimately chose academics is that I wanted a job where 
um, the job could grow with me as my interest changed. And um, since I was young faculty, I, you know, I knew I loved education, but, you know, I didn't know if I, if that was definitely my path. And, and I didn't, if I went into private practice, I would miss being with residents, medical students, and seeing the collaboration and the discussing of, of interesting patients. Like, since I've been here at Wake, I started up a headache case conference, and I love that. We host that once a month, and we get together and talk about our most fascinating headache patients. So not only can I get back up on the patients that I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing or I need more guidance on, but then I also can hear um, from other providers. And I love that collaboration. I love learning all the time. Um, and, you know, I'm so glad I chose academics because I've gotten so passionate about education. I'm now our residency director for our pediatric neurology program. So now I'm helping design curriculum and make sure our block schedules look nice and, 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 you know, really looking into ways to improve the education, um, for our residents at all stages. So I, I love education. So I can't imagine now in this role going back into private practice, um, because I just love that piece of it so much. And I think the other thing in academics is it allows you not only to, change over time is now getting more and more involved in education, but it allows you to be part of the inpatient side, but also the outpatient side. And so I love being in clinic and that's majority of what I do in headache management, but I love also occasionally being on inpatient service and seeing refractory epilepsy patients who come in in status, epilepticus, or managing a mystery case that we can't sort out that ends up with a brain infection. You know, there's just so many interesting things that you can see on the inpatient side that, that by the time they see you in clinic, they've already been stabilized and there's no other ongoing concerns. And so, it, you know, I feel like I would miss um, being with the inpatient. So I think academics allows you to be varied. And depending on where you get hired, you can have all different types of, of job descriptions. Okay. Do you think... Um with all of those hats that you're you're wearing, but try to think as a, a pediatric neurologist, what is um, what is life like uh, as far as time requirements? Do you feel like you have enough time for family outside of your work requirements? Yeah, no, that's a that's a very important thing to look at because especially if you choose a field. Um, and, and, and they make a big push that it's important for women, but I think it's important for anyone when they're choosing their career, um, the work-life balance. And you never know what your home life is going to look like when you're, when you're making these big decisions. So having flexibility or knowing um, what kind of support you have from your family I think is helpful. So for me, um, I knew that it was likely that I was going to um, possibly leave where my family lived and so that I would be in an area, you know, without necessarily extended support. I'd have friends, but not necessarily near where my family is. Um, and I wanted to be in a place where uh, I didn't have to work nights and weekends all the time. And so in pediatric neurology, I love the balance because we, I generally work Monday through Friday, um, and I probably work one weekend every six weeks um, where I'm not in-house for those calls. I uh, work probably from 9 to 11 doing inpatient rounds, and then I go home, and then I answer pages from home on the weekends um, that I'm on. So it's pretty much manageable because it ends up being a, a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 5 job, sorry, 8 to 5 job um, with a break for lunch. And then I squeeze in meetings depending on what I'm working on um, that sometimes keeps me till 6. But in general, it's very manageable for having a family. Great. What does the, the residency path look like to get to where you are? You, you mentioned there have been some changes recently. 
Oh, so, um, and I think they're all positive changes. Basically, a lot of programs have moved towards combining your match into, um, you would only apply once into both pediatrics and child neurology at um, at the same hospital. So here at Wake Forest, you come for one interview. It may be a two-day interview where you interview with the PEDS group, you interview with the child neurology group. But when they make a decision and you get your match result, it's at one program. Um, and I did my, pro- my training at two separate places, which has its benefits to learning all these different hospital systems. But it's really nice to spend, it's five years, two years in pediatrics, three years in your child neurology time, to spend all five years in one place. It really just makes it nice. You build connections a lot easier. And you spend less time worrying about computer systems and who's the right secretary to talk to um, about this or where is the cafeteria located. And you spend more time on focusing and learning as you transition from peds to child neuro. And what is different about our field is you'll spend two years purely in pediatrics. And then when you transition over to child neurology, the first year, although you're technically a child neurology resident, you will spend a bulk of that first year actually in adult neurology training where you are treated just like another adult neural resident. And so it's a hard transition to go from general pediatrics and getting, you know, get the cusp of being their senior resident. Um, and then all of a sudden going back and, and being with patients that are adult patients who may have internal medicine problems, um, but you are managing neurology conditions like stroke and seizures. And some of it overlaps in pediatrics and some of it doesn't always. So it's a little bit hard that one year, um, and programs do approach that problem differently. Sometimes you're completely that first year, you're on the adult side. Um, our program has decided to break it up a little bit, so you have some come into your second year, and um, we have made it so that our pediatric neurology residents do not do in-house call on the adult neuro side. But, you know, it's very you have to be careful when you choose programs that it's a match for your personality and what you're hoping, what you're hoping to, go to go into for your career. How competitive is PD neuro? Um, pediatric neurology is, um, is, is, it depends on where you want to practice. I guess that's what I would say. Some of the programs, um, and the, the top five programs, um, they tend to be larger programs, but they're based at some of the major cities. And so several of those programs can be very competitive if you had your heart set up, set on one of those programs. Um, but in general, pediatric neurology, um, every year will have a few spots that are unmatched across the country. Um, so, uh, relative to some other specialty fields, it's, it's, it's less competitive and compared to adult neurology is less competitive. And then the, the training for the, the fellowship training for headache, how many years is that? That is a, uh, typically a one year fellowship. There were some programs. Um, I know I interviewed at one at UCSF where they could offer a two year program. Um, and it depends on what your research interests are. Um, so usually it's a one-year clinical fellowship, and you may add on a second year if you have plans to complete a certain type of research project by the end. Okay. As a DO, did you see any negative bias towards you as a DO when you were looking at residencies? Um, so that's a really, really good question. Um, I uh, I saw, uh, so I, I guess it goes both ways. Um, so some of the programs that I interviewed at, um, I was very worried that that would be um, something that was being mentioned or asked about. Um, for instance, the program I actually settled at Boston Children's, I was worried because it was a Harvard-based program. Oh, you know, they're not they're not an osteopathic program. Maybe that will be seen negatively, but actually, um, it was a positive to them, and that their prior residents and chief residents had been DOs before me. Um, so, so sometimes you are worried that that's going to be a problem, and there are programs that you are unexpectedly 
um, amazed that they see that as a strength. Um, and um, then there are some places uh, I interviewed at a place in New York, which I won't mention the name, um, but I was asked um, a question of why I didn't go to real medical school. <laughs> <laughs> and and I thought it was a joke. And then I was like, oh, no, this isn't a joke. Oh, wait, this is actually happening in real time. And so, um, you know, what I realized about this whole thing is everyone will have things in their CV that they're very proud about um, or that other people are going to question or ask about or they don't know about. You know, so there's just, you know, your job is to seek out opportunities and use your skill set and your background to keep seeking out additional opportunities. And if someone is going to be negative or say something, you just have to rise above and say, you know, I'm really proud of um, where I come from. And let me explain to you why you should be excited about what I've done in the past. Um, and so, you know, moving forward, I have, other than that one interview I had, I have really never experienced any negativity towards being in BO. And I find it's a huge strength in my clinical practice because, you know, I do practice some OMM, which is our osteopathic manipulative medicine or OMT or osteopathic manipulative treatments. I do use it on the head and neck in some of my headache patients, which I really appreciate the hands-on approach. And so I am very blessed and very happy that I chose the training I did. And I do think it's opened some doors that, that maybe it wouldn't have opened for someone else. So I think you always you have to kill everything with positivity and realize and make decisions which are best for you. That's great. What, for, for the future general pediatrician that's listening to this, what can they learn from you right now to help their future neuro patients, headache patients? Um, and when they refer to you, how can they make your job easier? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's always helpful that when you're going through your training to seek out as many opportunities that might be out of your comfort zone. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I look back at some of my experiences I've had as a medical student or as a resident where I interacted on things that I certainly don't deal with on a daily basis, but even like an OBGYN rotation, right? Um, and I'm so glad that I showed interest during that rotation and gained as much as I could because you never know when that knowledge is going to come back into play and be helpful for that one particular patient. So I do think that if you're, if you're deciding to do pediatrics and you, you know it's not neurology, you, you may have opportunities where you interact during your training um, with a neurology patient or you have the opportunity to do a neurology month. And I would recommend it because um, to take opportunities and things that you might not always deal with. Um, and because you never know when you have that one patient in your practice that you feel very uncomfortable with, and, and that would be very helpful. So, you know, that's definitely an opportunity that not everyone takes takes up that I, you know, I think would be um, highly recommended. And then I think the big thing is um, um, if you are really worried about a patient, I think it would be helpful to understand either from the records or if you call the neurologist is to say why you're so worried. And sometimes we're not always using the same language, <laughs> you know, because it may be like, you know, the way I describe my exam, maybe the way a neurologist describes the exam and the pediatrician saying, well, I just see this on the exam and I'm not, I didn't know that that was abnormal, but let me describe to you what I'm seeing. Um, I think it's, if you're ever concerned, it's always better to just call and directly talk to someone, but even just documenting like, why am I worried? Um, and, and, and what, ha what have I already discussed with the patient um, is helpful. What specialties do you work the closest with? Um, so in neurology, um, in pediatric neurology, we work closely with general pediatrics and that's on the inpatient setting and the outpatient setting. So like hospitalists versus general pediatricians in the community, community. And we also work closely with neurosurgery 
Um, and some of that's related to epilepsy patients sometimes end up with surgery um, for the lesions that are causing their seizures or um, patients who have brain tumors or um, patients who have increased pressure in the brain, hydrocephalus. They're managed sometimes with shunts for procedures. So we do work closely with neurosurgery. And then um, I'm trying to think if there's anything different on the, oh, I'm sorry. And then the other field that I work closely with impedes neuro, and I would say especially in, in headache, is uh, neuroradiology. Um, because we order a lot of brain MRIs and, um, you know, it's very helpful to have a interaction to understand beyond the report, you know, wh- how did you decide this um, and how did you report this? But also like, what do you think? And this is what I'm thinking. This is the clinical picture. This is what I thought these image findings meant for my patient. And do you think I should re-image? And the neuroradiologist can be very helpful. So I spent a lot of time going to the neuroradiologist's uh, reading room to get advice. What do you wish you knew going into Peds Neuro and, and Peds Headache that you know now? Yeah, I would say that a lot of people don't realize, and I did particularly did not realize, is that um, we may have, a, I, I think, a great work-life balance, and we're not initially in-house working in the hospital 24 hours a day. Um, but I, I do notice that our, um, that I think our pay is less comparative to other colleagues that are pediatric subspecialized, or if you compare what we do co- compared to adult um, colleagues, we are paid less in pediatrics. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Um, I, th- I'm not an expert on this, <laughs> but I think it has to, it relates back to the compensation that, that, um, either insurance or Medicaid provides per patient compared to the adult counterpart. So you could have a very complex pediatric patient, and if you had that same complex patient on the adult side, it would still be compensated for better if you were on the adult side. Okay. So that reflects back into salaries. So I think that um, I'm very happy with my life, my work-life balance, and I am currently happy with my salary. Um, but I'm just getting at it is that I didn't realize that that was something at play. Like I just, I naively would have thought that if you treat the same complicated type cases that you would be compensated the same. Yeah. You would think peds would be paid more because their life has much more <laughs> in in, yeah. in front of them. <laughs> yeah. Diminishing yeah. return over time. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, uh, but, you know, I, it, it's, it's not asking to be paid more, but I think <laughs> that I was surprised that we're not paid around the same or yeah. that we're our pa- each patient is compensated about the same. So that reflects into resources, right? So, you know, you're very lucky in academics if you're at a children's hospital that has a lot of, um, you know, layered with different administrative support and fundraises and does things. But, um, you know, it just makes resources a little bit harder to support if the patients themselves are not compensated as well for it. And it's not about compensation, but it does, it can sometimes affect social workers and other things that are important to running a clinic. So what do you like the most about being a pediatric headache specialist? Well, my favorite thing is when patients get better. Um, so I love when a patient comes back and, you know, you read through the chart to prep yourself <laughs> what you're about to encounter when you go in the room. You're like, oh, okay, what medicine changes did I make? And, you know, their headaches were daily before and they're missing all the school or their family is very worried or they were anxious or depressed or something was going on. And then I walk in the room and they're like, hey, we're so excited to see you. We're doing really well. And we're, I said, when's the last headache? I can't remember. And when you hear something like it, not that you can cure everyone, but when you hear that someone's life 
was upside down and now they're back on course and they're really excited and the family can finally take a breath and relax and and instead of being in that you know extreme caretaker role can finally just be like we're going to enjoy life as a family um that is really rewarding and to think that they came back to the visit just to tell you that they're doing well you know um is a big deal what do you like the least um huh what do i like the least well um you know i i think that sometimes uh um if you're talking about pain patients, sometimes I, I, I get frustrated when I have a patient who, um, I guess is there, I'm trying to help them and they can't see the path out. And I, and I find that when you have visits where you're saying, if you just would cut caffeine out or you would just, you know what, I, I think you'd do better if you didn't sleep just four hours a night, you know, and you can't control um, someone's life at home and you can't motivate them to do the changes sometimes that, 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 you know, seem obvious, um, to everyone you don't need a specialty training to, to point some of these things out. And when they can't accomplish them or even some of them, it, that can be very disappointing. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a headache doc for pediatric patients? You know, that's very interesting. <laughs> um, so we always joke around like, what would be your exit career, you know, <laughs> or what would you do differently? And, and, and I get asked, obviously, because I'm training a lot of medical students and residents and um, I even have people shot from high school and college, like, would you do this again? And it's just really hard to imagine what else that other career would be or um, you know, what else I would be so excited about. Um, and I, I really do love it. And I think that there are times, um, that anyone in any job can feel that they have a frustrating day or a frustrating interaction with someone. And that doesn't always have to be a patient. That could be a staff or, um, you know, co colleague or something. But in the end, you know, I find what I do really fascinating. I feel like I'm always learning. I, I get to interact with people at my hospital level, um, learners, but also um, nationally, I go to conferences and I interact with people. And our community is very small um, in pediatric neurology, and it's even smaller in pediatric headache or even headache. And so, you know, in a few short years from my training, I feel like I know so many people. And so these opportunities are just very, um, very rewarding. Um, and um yeah. And so I don't know what that other field would look like. And, you know, I have a lot of friends. I have, uh, you know, my husband's in finance. I have friends in other fields and I always want to hear what they're doing and what it's like. And, and in the end, I'm saying, like, you know, I get to do something really cool every day and I get to be part of, be part of someone else's life and get a snapshot. Like, you know, I'm like someone else's family member at these visits. And I don't think you get that kind of rewarding, um, intense experience in other jobs as much. So I don't know what it would be if I changed, but I, I would definitely choose it all over again. Nice. As we wrap up for somebody listening who might be interested in pediatric neuro, might be interested in headache, what would you recommend they do, especially with your um, current role as a as a PD neuro residency director, what would you recommend that the student do to explore the field and and do to be competitive as they apply for residency? Oh, okay. Well, I think it's the same no matter what field you're looking in. I think it's always about um, uh, reaching out to 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 areas 
um, that you're thinking about and, um, and then finding out what opportunities there are that are available. And that could be spending time with someone in clinic, spending time with someone in the operating room or um, on the inpatient side or spending time on a research project where you get to learn um, a lot about a certain fascinating disorder that needs improvement on or there's some new discovery that they're working on. So um, I think that don't be afraid to reach out to people. I think especially when you're in a training environment and there are, you know, we're in the world of academics, that everyone is excited when we have someone reach out to us. We may not always know how we're going to help you, you know, depending on what your interests are, but I think that everyone's excited to receive these uh, emails. And it's, it's what keeps us loving our job so much because when you see someone young and enthusiastic and looking at your job and or looking at what you do and say, oh my goodness, I'm very interested, it's contagious. And so I think that that's, you know, it's very important for us to be involved in that process. And so don't be afraid to reach out and just introduce yourself, say who you are, Maybe attach your resume so you understand a little bit more of, of what your background and what you're hoping to um, do or look into. And you can be very honest. Say, you know, I don't know if neurology is for me or I don't know if pediatric neurology is for me. But I was loving to, you know, if I'd love to schedule time with you to learn more of what you do or if I could spend time with you in a clinic at one afternoon just to see. I would love that experience. All right. So there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Laura Strauss pediatric neurologist specializing in headache medicine, also the residency program director at Wake Forest for pediatric neurology. And I hope you caught that a DO at a large academic medical center for an allopathic residency program. The DOMD stigma is going away. It's going away. So hopefully you hear that and um, understand that being a DO is not holding you back. So little side note there, not something I typically talk about on this podcast, but I just wanted to highlight that if you're listening to this as a DO student and thinking there are things that you can't do, that uh, is self-limiting beliefs that you don't need. So anyway, thank you, Dr. Strauss, for sharing your thoughts on pediatric neurology and being a headache specialist for pediatric patients. If you are in the Wake Forest area in that triad of medical um, hospitals and and all of the universities there and are looking at pediatric neurology, as Dr. Strauss Strauss mentioned, go reach out and uh, see if there's an opportunity to shadow her or shadow somebody else in the program in that department. I hope this episode was a good episode for you to educate you a little bit more on pediatric neurology and specifically headache medicine. This is exactly why I do this podcast. So two weeks ago, we did adult headache medicine, and this week we did pediatric headache medicine. So now you can start seeing some differences if you were thinking about headache, adults versus kids. Now you can go and listen to those two episodes and compare and contrast. If you have any ideas for specialists that you would like me to talk to, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I would love any referrals to any physicians that you know, whether it's your parent or brother or sister uh, or friend, whoever that may be. I'm always looking for somebody who's out of their training, somebody that's been out in practice for a little bit that can talk about the field. I hope you have a great week. Next week, I have a great episode where I talk to a uh, an adult community-based gastroenterologist who is a interventional endoscopist. Join us next week here at the Specialty Stories Podcast and MedEd Media.